What if there's a dating site only for people who like Scott Pilgrim? <laughs> <laughs> My virginity versus the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of, a bunch of guys. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I'm here with your second favorite co-host, Nathan. Oh, that's me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we don't have a first favorite. So send your applications. Yeah, yeah, we'll please. Look over yeah, them. yeah. I just didn't want to make him the first one because he's very humble, and I don't want to take that mm. away. Yeah, humility yeah. is my best quality. I know. Have you worked together? And that's what everybody said. Nathan, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Hopefully, no one we worked with hears that. <laughs> oh, exclusively. <laughs> Maybe this is the soundbite. You know, that's what they hear. Uh, but yeah, today, today we thought we'd talk about scheduling, task systems, um, queues, uh, just your regular old how to run things on an interval and not suck at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a lot again. Says he's got a lot of things to say and I have far less to say. So I'll be trying to just ask questions and see where things go. And hopefully it goes well. Maybe I'll learn something. Wow. Maybe you'll do better by the end of the Whoa, that would be so meta. I know. Roll credits. We're done. Well, not yet. I haven't learned. Oh, sorry. It's just the name came up. Yeah, cool. So would you like to start us off with the previous week's normal, uh, our segments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Segment one, something rad that happened. Whew. Yeah, so uh, I guess something, I actually wrote these down because I know I'll always forget as soon as I have to say it while recording. So something rad. Oh, this is actually related to our conversation after the show last week where my something good was getting suggestions and feedback from other people. So I was talking to my sister and she was like, what are your projects for the winter? And then I had my existential crisis kick in where I realized I had none. And I realized, oh, this is why I've been feeling so dead inside. And uh, cause I have nothing planned. I have nothing to like achieve personally. Cause I just kind of ran out of fuel for stuff over the course of 2020. Cause there's a lot going on. You've just achieved everything you ever were going to. Well, I didn't want to say that because I am very humble, but... Right, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was talking to you, and you were basically like, well, this is what you're not very good at, so maybe you go get better at it. And I went, okay, cool, so I'll do that. So it actually helped a lot. I had a much better weekend uh, knowing that I had something to work on. And so the combination of continuing to work through that uh, software organization architecture type book and doing more with system design. So approaching those two things is helping with trying to have something to work towards. And my hope is that uh, putting those two things together will make me feel like I got better at something over 2021. And so yeah, I feel motivated again, which is nice because it kind of felt like things were slowing down for me as far as what I knew, what I, how to learn what I didn't already know that I knew. No. Basically, I had a bunch of stuff I didn't know that I didn't know, and I was trying to figure out what that was. So, uh, yeah. Like, why 42? Yeah, I, I don't have that answer yet, but I think it might be okay. somewhere in the microarchitecture layer. 
So okay. I'm gonna, okay. I'll let you know. See if we can also find why like towel is so important for space travel. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you know. I doubt it, but sometimes okay. unexpected answers come from unexpected places. Huge, huge wisdom, guys. That's right. Facts. Yes. Bookmark the episode right here. Come back to this. Listen to this on a loop. Yeah, a lot of knowledge gained already. Uh, and the other thing that I looked into was gRPC. So we have some gRPC in our stack. And I just sort of saw the gate was there and went, okay, cool. I kind of know what RPC is for. So I'll just imagine it's something to do with that. And I look it up, oh, it's by Google. All right, cool, it's Google's RPC. Uh, but this past week, I stumbled upon the intros to gRPC, basically some of the system design stuff I was looking at referenced gRPC. And I went, all right, I'll actually go ahead and read about it. So I went a bit more into that and uh, it's certainly not well-versed, certainly not an expert, but it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, I think if I end up needing to contribute something to gRPC at my job, then I'll actually have some sense of what the heck's going on. So uh, that was the other little piece of tech that I looked into this past week. What about you? Um, yeah, um, actually, that sounds really cool. I sort of look forward to maybe having an episode on like gRPC and other communication protocols because uh, gRPC is something that I've sort of been also trying to follow along for the longest time, just only implemented in like basic, this is how you start off with these. And my understanding of them were they're kind of like pseudo GraphQL for backend, that GraphQL is like gRPC is to the backend, which that GraphQL is to the front end. Uh, at least that was my sort of understanding of it, uh, which is not very, not very accurate. Even <laughs> as I say pseudo, I'm gonna put that as in quotes. Uh -huh. uh, but it was just basically like you replicate models, so you don't have to worry about it, and like talks over HTTP and all that and fun stuff underneath. And uh, yeah, and this was when HTTP two was new and hot, and gRPC was like, I am using it, so I am superior. And I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. just blown away even though in my actual implement implementation, none of that would have mattered. Right. Uh, yeah, not touching touching those lower level layers, but Yeah, whatever. the idea of running a remote process as if it's local is so strange to me, considering that every company I've worked at is so focused on REST uh, that mm -hmm. like the idea of doing essentially the opposite, of saying, no, let me run that for you, uh, is so crazy compared to just saying, I have some state, I'm gonna transfer it to you. Uh, it's such a different pattern that I'm sure it's super great when you use it right, but I can also see people getting excited and doing it all kinds of damage and just making things really confusing. Um, but, it's, yeah, but it's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very cool. And uh, I think the biggest use case I saw of it was, it's great when it's just servers talking to other servers, mm -hmm. when there's not like a human or GUI involved in this. It's like great language for microservices to just control each other and talk yeah. and run. And that was the context where I came across it when I was looking at the system design stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So, but this is not the episode for it. So I will not, <laughs> I will not divert right. it. Um, yeah. Uh, the cool thing I found last week, which not really found, and I really got into it super late, but I finished the first three Uncharted games because uh, I was on my vacation kick and I my thumb hurts because I'm not used to con con 
console gaming very much. Uh, but what what are, what excellent games! It's like it's been a while since I needed something like that, and besides the little misdirects here and there, which were kind of annoying that the game does to you. Uh, complained about it in our friend chats. Uh, yeah, but besides that, it was good. That was the cool thing I sort of did. Uh, finished that, and then um, oh, a show that. I cannot think of any other word to describe it besides the F word. That show is completely effed. It's extremely, extremely effed and I still want to watch it. And it's called The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. It's super depressing and dark. And after Black Mirror, I needed something to kill me on the inside a little bit. And that show did it. It's like, it kills you on the inside. It gives you a little bit of hope. So you're like, oh, something good's gonna happen. And then bam kill you right where it hurts wow and yeah so i'm really enjoying it i'm like I'm, I'm done with like two seasons already and yeah if it was all depressing like black mirror i may have needed a break uh but saturday sunday canceled all my plans sat through about uh i don't know like 22 hours of television over two days hmm. uh, just Started the day off by watching it on my couch and finished it by watching it on my couch. Dang. I know. You still haven't watched Mad Men, have you? I have not watched Mad Men. Yeah, I'm going to keep recommending the pilot episode repeatedly until you finally watch at least that. Because it's such such a strong start. And and you'll know as soon as the episode's done if you want to watch the rest. Because the rest of that first season is very similar to that. And then uh, okay. the reason I thought of it was because you said depressing. And that's kind of why I stopped watching around mid-season four was because I was like, this is just getting a bit depressing all the time. And I don't like mm-hmm. being sad, but it sounds like you do. So you might I, like it. I do as long as they sort of give me some sort of false happiness here and there. Okay. It's, it's, that's the balance, right? Because when I first started watching Black Mirror... I'd watch a couple of episodes, then I would watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something lighthearted, take a little break. Like, I need some serotonin, something needs to come back up in my head. And then I would go back to it and punish myself. Yeah, see, I'm more much of just fly the Concords, just make me feel good all the time. Yes. Actually, that, that's the next great thing. So I'm setting up a, uh, I'm setting up a media server at home. Because I had a desktop just sitting there eating dust, doing nothing, and it was sad to me. So I realized Netflix is getting more and more expensive every year, and I don't want to rely on it anymore because content that I like is also going away from it, and streaming services are just getting insane. So I set up my own media server at home, and yeah, and Flight of the Concords is downloaded, sitting there, waiting for me to finish it. And I stopped watching it because I wouldn't sit at my computer anymore and I would just watch on everything on my TV. So now that it's hooked up to my TV as a media server, I can go and finally sit on the couch all day <laughs> and finish that show and get a laugh. Good. Good. I approve. Yes. I know that's all you um, wanted. That's... Uh, yeah. I, what else could I possibly want besides... Besides approval from somebody who's so humble and I don't yeah, know. I got beloved by everybody I've known that he's worked <laughs> absolutely <laughs> adored uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> you can swear on the show if you want. <laughs> Good, because you, yeah, you're gonna make it happen at some point. 
<laughs> I hope. All I right. hope too. Tasks. Do you want to start the task now? <laughs> um. Sh- sure. Yeah. So, um, I was thinking about how to put the whole concept in a logical manner. Okay. Or at least on sort of a. In, in some sort of structured way, because my brain works in flowcharts. Everything has to have a hierarchy and something has to connect with everything else. Okay. So I'll start at the very bottom, which were just tasks. DevOps mindset. It's the DevOps mindset. Okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, tasks. So I, at the very bottom, there's tasks. Tasks are the smallest unit of work that could be done when we're talking in the context of, context of scheduling and bigger operations and just like proper workflow systems that are just running tasks on a scheduled basics basis. So the very, very bottom thing is a task. It's a single unit of work that does something. Maybe it hits an API endpoint at certain or runs a script or does something. Uh, next level was schedule, which assigns a certain time and context to these tasks. Because you could have a task that just goes in and hits an API and takes the response and throws it in database. Then you can create a schedule on top of it that says, do it every 10 minutes. And then you can create five different contexts of try these five different APIs with these environment variables. And these are the database tables you write these things to. And then finally queues when you're like, I have a thousand of these tasks to run and my computer can only handle so much. So you implement things in a queue and then you resolve things and then you go at it. And that's like the very basic, simplest pipeline of task and scheduling. At least that's how I describe them in my head. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's apparently a fire outside. There's a, well, there's a fire truck. There we go. Is you, did you release your mixtape? It's straight flames, dude. <laughs> You're not, the world's not ready for it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my matches my general understanding of scheduling and tasks and what you wanted to talk about today, uh, mm-hmm. and that is kind of the extent to which I've really thought about tasks, uh, things that we use tasks for. For example, uh, at my company currently is things like uh, syncing jobs that have to run periodically. Uh, so if there's you know, some external service or a service that maybe is internal, but it has some legacy data from old values to new values that needs to be periodically updated or objects that are related, but we don't want to update them in process. So like on save, it wouldn't make sense because maybe it takes a long time uh, to do those things. We want to return right away. We'll dispatch the uh, related updates into a queue and then those will sit there get processed and the related objects will update. Um, so those sorts of things. And due to how at least our Python Django is written, pretty much everything that we want to do asynchronously is done via tasks, which are sent to salary queues. Um, and so really, uh, apparently there's, there's new asynchronous Python, but we're using it, I think, in one spot. And it was sort of like, does this do what we want it to do? Apparently it does. I haven't seen that code yet. Um, so everything for us that's async, except for in one file, is done via tasks and salary. Nice. Yeah, I, I remember, yeah, salary was my actually first 
introduction besides cron into right. schedules and running things cron og everybody everybody pray to it yeah uh even though i hate regexes to the bottom of my core cron is one thing i still love even cuz i guess it doesn't use that much regex and it is a very simple pattern of define the times define the command define the context bye yeah. and it's so good i think the first cron i ever wrote was one that at the end of every day or something like that it was some standard time as cron does uh, just delete everything in my trash bin so i was just like you know what i just want to see if this works and it did and i felt so accomplished as a young young nathan wow so you were you were just like if i haven't looked at this deleted item in a day i don't care if it's gone yeah it, i don't want to look back 3 days later and be like oh i shouldn't have deleted homework.jpg no no all of my <laughs> all of my paint based homework assignments can be deleted right away <laughs> wow Wait, I thought paint based was PNG, but then it could be JPEGs. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. No. Mm. Okay. Wow. So you, you you were like you were just badass. I remember when I was first like doing recycle when I first learned about recycle bin, I was still like anxious for weeks every time I would delete something, but like, but it's gone forever. That's way too big of a commitment. <laughs> I have to keep this around forever. Which was just as big as a commitment to keep it around than to delete it from recycle bin because your computer still allocates space for it on the drive. Yes. While it's sitting in the bin. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time, so I was just like, man, I can't do this. I can't just empty my recycle bin. That's crazy. Uh, and as an adult, I guess that transformed into I don't want to take out the trash. Uh, that was a joke. I'm, I'm hygienic. Please don't come at me in comments. <laughs> That's what they were going to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're just going to be like, screw this technical talk. That guy does not clean he his recycle so bin. <laughs> He's so gross. He's so gross. Yeah. So what other, uh, I mean, I guess, do you want to and can you describe celery? Can I respect not the celery? Vegetable. Describe Oh, I think respect. It's like, yeah. I, do you respect it, though? That's a, that's a very important question, too. Do you respect it as a scheduler? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think the creators of Celery just rejoiced. Yeah, so I don't really know where, for example, Celery starts, or Celery ends and Beat begins. We've got those two things running. Um, but my understanding is that we have these, at least from the code side, which is the part that I know most about, is we have these functions, we can decorate them with a thing called task. And then you can call delay on that and that'll punch it out to Celery and say, all right, Celery, I want you to handle this. You, give, you set up a router and that, based on which queue you're passing it into, the router will associate or appropriately pass that task into that queue. And that way you can, for example, if you had a massive like sync process that was running for all of your users and you had some other process that was in like a maintenance queue, the maintenance queue could keep running without even if the sync queue for users was really backed up. So you can separate your concerns across these different types of queues. And then you just have workers, or at least that's how we do it. So we have these different workers associated with each queue. And the nice thing about 
having these different queues associated with workers is you can scale workers up and down accordingly so that if a queue is really backed up, we see that and we go, oh, this is not good. Uh, we can scale up our workers. The queue will then start being emptied faster. And if there's not a lot in that queue, we can scale it back down. Uh, and again, I know that Celery is doing most of that. I don't know exactly the edges of it, but Celery is our tool of choice and that's the, the general flow of uh, how a task will pass through the system. Yeah, that's, yeah that pretty much resonates with my understanding. Uh, salary, salary is just the, it's the interface that you define things through and then it will store things in a Redis or some other backend where it needs to to understand which tasks it has, if it needs to retry them and everything. Um, and then it will just go execute them using salary workers on wherever you define it to run. Uh, remember, I think there was, instead of Redis, at some point I was using uh, Amazon SQS for that. Uh, good thing I looked that up before this because I was totally going to misremember that. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, it, it just handled that, but SQS had its own pricing, and since our workload wasn't all that huge, we realized we could just use Redis extremely cheaply uh, to just do that ourselves. And yeah, but that was the that was the three components. It just so when when it comes to actually running the schedules, it just there needs to be somewhere to persist the queues. Unless you're just I don't know, you're some sort of badass who doesn't care about persisting their queues, uh, then you just you don't persist them. You use Redis without persistence to the disk and. If it's gone, it's just gone. Then, you know, new tasks will come up. Uh, yeah, I've seen that happen too, uh, but the, the system was pretty stateless and anything important like writing to a database and everything was not sent to the queue. Mm -hmm. It was just done at the same time. Uh, so the queue was pretty much there to just run scheduled tasks of, okay, we have all this data, let's go summarize it. Let's take that data, summarize that more. And it was, more or less, sorry, it was more or less just a data batching queuing system. Uh, so you yeah. were saying that the data for the queue itself, like what was in the queue, was stored in Redis? Uh, the, the execution, so that's what Celery does. So mm -hmm. Celery will, every time you do that task.delay or something, yeah. it goes and creates a record in Redis saying, this is the function I need to execute and it's, it basically just creates a stack, mm -hmm. uh, depending on what queue you have and how this queue is configured. Uh, it'll just be like, okay, this is the new thing, I, I will get to it. Because uh, the scheduler will go in and throw things in Redis, and then the executor will go pick up off the top. Uh, so it's just the, the FIFO, from what I remember, for the most part, the default is just first in, first out. You go in, you grab the thing that was first in, you execute it, and yeah, and then the Redis ho holds all the information off. This is the function, this is where it was called. These are the parameters of killing it or anything else. Um, that's where actually context is very important too. Uh, I remember, I learned that the hard way of Python context that you don't, don't really think about once you've evolved from Java and other languages that require the context variable all over the place, where Python doesn't really say it, but it needs that, and if you don't, wrap it up in the nice little app.context, depending on if you're executing it from a Flask context, Django context or whatever, 
tasks fail and then it blows up in your face because the function that you're running wasn't exactly I don't even know the right term but like it it needed more information than whatever was only provided to the function itself it needed surrounding elements to run properly sure uh, and there might be ways to do this differently but at least in our system so the one I'm familiar with mostly you can only pass primitive arguments. So for example, you can't pass the actual user object. You can pass a user ID to the task. And then it'll say, all right, I have this string. And then your task itself or the function you've passed as a task needs to know how to take that ID and do whatever lookup it needs to if it needs to find the user. So something that we'll see sometimes is you get something, you look up a user, you get the user's ID, you pass the ID in and ship it off to a task. That task has to look the user up again, which is a bit of work, but if the focus is on doing a quick turnaround time to the user, you don't care that you're doing this extra query later because it's happening separate from the user's experience. And at least for us, that's often what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, we're gonna do some work now and we'll do some work later, but the work we need to do now, we need to do right now. We'll let you know it's done. And then if necessary, for example, if it's a report that needs to be run or something, we'll let you know that it's done and you can just you know, request the report when it's ready. Otherwise, it's stuff that's gonna take a very short amount of time. We just don't wanna do it right this second. Mm. So the whole architecture is based around perfectionist, per perfectionist procrastinators. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What we're doing now is good. Yeah. Everything else can, it'll happen. It'll happen when the God wants it to happen. <laughs> yeah, and especially when you've got services talking to each other, right? If you've got a service that every time you ask it for something, it's going to do multiple unrelated things, then when you've got a chain of those things running together, it's really hard to sometimes see where all this time's being spent because it's across a number of services and they're all doing a little bit of unnecessary work, which can add up to a bunch. Yeah, but yeah, I guess, and that's where you have to just see, I guess, the scale of where the major load needs to happen, because I also understand why you wouldn't want to deal with, like, passing in the user object or something, because serialization errors, huge memory stacks, because now each one of those tasks that are sitting in the memory queue somewhere have all these contexts that it has to maintain, and it may or may not serialize the object properly, and it may or may not have things, whereas... If you know the task that it needs to do is in its own little element that you can run just passing a single string, then that's great. And then you don't have to worry about it as an engineer, and then you can do your optimizations on another level and just not look at it uh, for the most part. Just wait until yeah. your ops people yell at you for things taking too long. Yeah. yeah. Why are there 5,000 people reading this one single user ID? Uh, just, that's just the way it is. You know? It's a famous person. People just really like it. It's all Reddit servers. Uh -huh. <laughs> they still like him very much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely that was like, uh, I had a section of things I remember as sad parts of queuing and such. Serialization was pretty high up. So I can, I can mark that off now. The stateless and the contextual information. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm sure like there's other task and queuing systems you're also using. For example, cron. Mm -hmm. I heard you guys use Jenkins. Oh, so does Jenkins count as a 
kind of. I mean, if it's not doing, if it's doing anything on a schedule, that's a task scheduler okay. system. Jenkins maintains its little queues that it runs on the agents. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, I have a lot of memories from us working together and our Jenkins queue being very backed up. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I guess that does sound right. <laughs> Jenkins has a queue. Um, yeah, so we use that. And it does our building and tagging based on PRs we open and commits we push. Uh, you might know this. We use... Um, oh, I'm, I've lost it now. But we moved from... Hel oh, Spinnaker. We moved from Helm to Spinnaker. It has pipelines. I don't know if they have any sort of scheduling that you'd like to mention, but uh, it is being fed by our Spinnaker queues. So essentially Spinnaker is just shouting out to the world saying, all right, I've got to push this tag, this tagged image into this repo. And then uh, Spinnaker notices that tagged repo, does a bunch of building, deploys it if it's appropriate to deploy it, that sort of stuff. Um, we also have some linting uh, servers attached. So uh, Codacy, it'll run a bunch of linting against our PRs. And I imagine it probably has a similar to Jenkins, that sort of setup going uh, on its end, but that's not something I'm familiar with how they have chosen to implement it. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of different queues and things going on, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to be Jenkins, but they, they just can't. I don't think they do. That's what all these services that have been trying to replace for forever, mm. but they just, they just can't. Just, you can't. You can't kill Jenkins. It comes back stronger with, with all of its memory footprints and back backload of problems, uh, and nobody could kill it. It's just, it's there. It's in your face, mm. and I. I diverged again, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, that that's guess because I was thinking of all the different tools uh, I may have come across for just like queuing and such, and um, we already talked about SQS. We talked about cron. Shout out again. It's just such a good tool. I I love it way too much. Uh, I have like little Docker containers that I'm deploying lately for these scheduled things that need to run, and all I have to do is I have to just even Alpine comes with its own cron system. And that cron system is one of the better ones that I've seen than implemented in like, I don't know, Debian-based or Ubuntu-based images. It just takes a nice little cron tab file and you don't have to copy it anywhere or anything. It just it just does the job. And it's so good. It's just good. <laughs> Actually, I don't know why I said it like that. A place but. that I think someone could choose to play around with that if they're not super familiar with something like cron or scheduling things is AWS Lambda. Lambda because um, they have cron built right in and so you can put your little cron config in there and then point out a lambda function and then that lambda function will run however often you've specified so if running something just on your machine either scares you or is uh, not interesting enough one of the two and you want to use something like aws that's a really easy place to try out that sort of thing yeah, totally. Um, and if you want to understand how your cron statements are looking, lots of really excellent cron explaining websites. You just paste in your pattern and be like, well, this is how this is going to run. And it's just oh, so good. So good. Um, 
Yeah, and then I remembered Celery. We already talked about Celery, Jenkins. Uh, oh, when I was using Java, uh, the Java framework, there's a, there's a very famous used Java framework called Spring, and it has that built-in. It's just pretty great for that. Uh, so shout out for anybody wanting to use Java, use Spring. It's the best framework. Not that I'm an expert Java developer, but every time I've chosen to develop something in Java, I keep going back to Spring. It's the greatest. It's overbloated. It has everything. It's the Lodash of Java. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now yeah, I get it. It has everything. Literally everything. <laughs> Just go crazy. Go nuts. Um, oh, yeah. And then I remembered one uh, which was really good. Uh, DigDag. We implemented that at Minds. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Minds? <laughs> yes, actually. Every time I see ArcGIS or something, I go, uh, oh, yes, I do remember that project. Yeah. So, yeah, this was a project Nathan and I worked on where the team loved him. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> just his humility and uh, everything, so, really. He was so chatty. It was crazy. Yeah. I, was a, uh, I was a joy in every meeting. Every meeting. Ah, such as the ray of sunshine. Um, yeah, and then DigDag was the tool we used, and it was pretty great. It was like, it had YAML configuration that you can pass, and you just told, and it has a lot of built-in things. If any of you has ever used Ansible or something, you'd like feel more familiar, because it's it has a whole bunch of recipes built in. Like, if you want to extract something out from a Postgres database as a task, you go in and you just say Postgres and you define the credentials and you define the table and the schedule. And it knows just to go in, extract things out, put it wherever you want it to. Which is great because then it saves you the time from writing a little Python task that goes in and curious the database and all these other things where instead of writing your own little microservices for all these different things, you deploy a central scheduler and the scheduler has all these libraries built in and you just give it the right credentials and paths and then everything's in one central place. Um, we deployed it at Mainz, uh mainly because our schedules were running alongside our API servers. And even though we didn't have as much load on our production to really make it a difference, it was just not a good architecture practice. And so it just seemed like a better sense on developing those and we just ended up having way too many import export tasks at one point. It started off with just a simple innocent nightly pull to multiple pulls all over the place over and over again. Um, so that's where DigDag came in. It was pretty great. I don't know if I fully recommend it for anything complex because even though it was open source, a lot of their forums and everything was in Japanese. And it was really hard to find any issues. Uh, <laughs> But since it was open source, and I think it was written in Python, I could just go look at the code and figure out what's going wrong. But just whenever you have to resort to reading the code instead of the documentation, you just know it's not built for something larger or longer term. Um, yeah. So. Or maybe if you speak Japanese, it won't be a problem. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. If you if you speak Japanese, all the power to you. Uh, Go use DigDag. The icon is super cute. Oh, man. It's just the cutest little thing. Uh, it just reminded me of Golang Gopher. It's just mm. a little DigDag thing. Yeah, but that's not why you should use get a product. Uh, but that was part of the reason why we chose DigDag, actually. It was for a hackathon. And we're like, 
that's cute. We're going to go with this. Uh, and then I'm making its way into production because that's how agile teams work, I guess. Something like that. Something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. And a big, um, big reason why we chose it was because it had a DAG algorithm, which is, I always forget, so I wrote it down, directed acyclic graph. Um, and I know Nathan knows how to implement it in some language uh -huh. for interviews, so I'm going to let him talk about what a DAG is. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was directed acyclic graph. Yes. All right, sure. So a Besides graph. the abbreviation. Yeah. So a graph, if you've ever worked with a tree, a tree is a type of graph, but it's, a, it's also a directed graph generally, meaning that each edge, which means the connection between each node, has a direction. So if you're at node A and you can travel to node B, that means that there's a direction that you can travel there between A and B. And a cyclic graph would be something like a graph where you can move from a node A to node B to node C back to node A. That would mean that there's a cycle within the graph. And so an acyclic graph in that case is one where you can only travel in one direction throughout each thing, or at least it's directed in some way. And there is no cycles that are created. So a lot of times something you'll have to do in dumb interviews is something like given a uh, graph, determining if it is cyclic or acyclic or something like that, or given a directed, a directed acyclic graph, calculate the sum of all the nodes in the, tr in the graph. But generally you can just think of it as a tree is a type of graph. Not all graphs are trees. Not all graphs are cyclic, and if they're acyclic, and they have a root node, and they're directed, they're probably a tree. So, those are the the super basics. But yeah, acyclic graphs, if you're navigating them, are nice because you don't have to say things like "I've visited this node before." Uh, so, if you're working with them, it makes things easier. Yeah, yeah, and that's like one of the things schedulers run into problems all the time where you somehow forget certain functions are calling other functions and you end up scheduling two or three of them and then somehow now you have a cyclic dependency and it's all chaos and yeah. the world is on fire and everybody's just sad because your your schedulers just never run out of task it's crazy it's just crazy and yeah that's yeah, and that, I could be... when we looked at that we were like that's pretty neat so we chose it yeah uh, yes, dependency graphs, that's a thing where that will come up. And I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure if you ever get those import errors in Python where you're trying to import in different files, it's just creating a cycle and saying, like, I can't resolve this dependency. So you'll either have to move that to a different place or move it within the function so that it gets imported at runtime, something like that. Uh, but that's essentially the problem with a cycle is that it can't stop. So it just keeps on running. Yeah. And they don't stop running. Don't stop don't running. Stop. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, that was mostly what I had on my list of like tools. Uh, then I just have a list of problems that I've seen and run into that have made me sad. Perfect. That was what I was going to go from. I was going to say, again, you've really tried to sell us on how valuable these different queuing technologies are. Mm -hmm. When should I avoid queues? When should I be 
afraid of cues. Uh, when should I not use a cue? When do I think it's a good idea? These sorts of questions. These are the ones I'm left with. And I need to know. I need the answers. Um, I, I don't have all the answers, uh, but I have most of the answers. Perfect. And that just means all of the answers. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, one of the biggest times I see is like, when you're making an architectural decision of implementing an entire scheduling system, really see if you need it. Because uh, a lot of times, if it's a one-off task that's not all that high priority, you can just implement threads. For example, writing to a database after, if it's not a crucial database where you need to ensure the record gets written 100%, if it's like for analytics or something, don't implement a whole queuing system. Just Fire for thread, and if for whatever sad reason your API server dies and that thread is lost, you're not losing out on work. And it's okay that you lost one click. Unless you're an ad tech company and per click you're getting paid like $5,000 or something, then you know, do better. I think you've got that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. They're like, what, $3 for like a thousand clicks or something generally. Uh, but then once, depending you, on yeah, the brand once you go through all the middlemen ad, and everything. A cent per five thousand or something. Yeah, ads such a great way to make money. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the kind of places where I would recommend just like don't think about that part way too much. Uh, don't implement a complete queuing system and everything. The next step after that is if you before you do that and you're like okay this needs to be a little bit more persistent but I don't want to go through all this work of implementing things. Look for tools. Cron is an excellent one if your API servers, again, aren't too loaded. Create a cron job that goes and does these things or deploy a little service that runs the exact same code base but can go and run off one-off tasks and little Python scripts or whatever scripts you want. Um, and then look into like more bigger things like I don't want to rewrite an entire thing that I don't want to rewrite an ETL microservice cool, let's use a scheduling system because that sounds important. Um, and just things like that, that's when, that's when really, you, again, it's very, it's a very important architecture decision because it seems very doable because it seems like everybody is using them and you're not and so you're not one of the cool kids, but really value it. It's like the same problem I see with microservices. It's the only example that came to my head. <laughs> where it's just the cool thing and everybody wants it but you'd maybe not, maybe you don't need it. So think about that. that that's the part that really bothers me. Time zones. Uh. Uh, <laughs> I cannot emphasize how many times I've seen people being like, but this is how I wrote this Chrome job and it's not executing at this time. I'm like, well, what's the server time? And what are you looking at? And that's where it's like, then they sit down, do the conversion in their head of being like, oh, if it's in UTC, then it should run like this. And then have to worry about PDT, the dumb daylight savings that we all have to suffer through. Uh, and just things like that. That's like the big, I think the very top on my list, it says time zone on problems that I see with uh, cron jobs. Every single time, without fail, whenever I've seen somebody implement it, they always are wondering why something isn't working at a certain time or a schedule, and it's because you just wrote it wrong. There's no, no other explanation. Just write it better. Time zones just make everything worse. Like, 
They really for, for programmers, at least. Uh, I'm yes. not saying for people in the real world. I don't want it to be <laughs> noon uh, and it'd be dark. But, uh, <laughs> but when you're writing code, yeah, as soon as you have to cross time zones, reevaluate your life, see if you can avoid it. Because it's just gonna, it's going to be hard. And if you happen to live in a place with daylight savings time, then every six months you've got to make sure that you haven't introduced any regressions in the past six months related to the fact that now you're going to be one hour different than you have been. Yeah. So frustrating. And, and those are also the kind of times when you may want to think about implementing a, some, a, a scheduler with like some sort of algorithm or DAG or whatever in it. When if you're, whatever these tasks that you're running, if one hour ahead or before running them somehow negatively affects your system, you're doing something wrong and you should look at that architecture. Uh, because these, these tasks are just, I need to run these once a day. That should be as far as the scope for that one hour effect should be so that you're not running them past midnight or before so that it crosses over that day boundary. Even then, then it's regular and you may have a one day discrepancy. And that's okay, you can live with it. I hope you can live with it. If not, do better. Can, with can the customers live with it? That's always the question. <laughs> that uh, That's true. Well, I don't know. Maybe the customers just need to do better. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, length. please look at your monitor, your queuing systems. Uh, since they're one little things offside, a lot of times I've seen like APIs will have all of these like analytics and data dog integrations and everything. And then people forget about the queuing systems because it seems to work. But under high pressure APIs, when they create a bunch of tasks and now your queuing system is about to die, nobody knows about it until next day. And then they're like, hey, the data stopped coming. And then everybody's sad. And then just, it's just, it's just bad because everybody's sad. And the opposite of sad is das, and that's not good. So, so your point here is just make sure you're monitoring your queuing system? 100%. Okay. Look at the, and like use proper metrics. Don't just look at how much memory or CPU has been used. Look at how many things are in the queue. And again, that's for when you have queuing system that's worth anything. If it's not, don't worry about it. If the, your queuing system dying doesn't affect you in any way and you have self-healing containers or anything that you're running, fine, who cares? Oh, we missed like three hours of data, it's not gonna matter in another three hours, that's fine. Um, but yeah, if you're like, oh my God, why didn't those users' payments got recorded? Uh, that's gonna be bad, it's gonna be real bad when a billion people hit your website and they all bought things and none of the payments got processed, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've seen this in a real world example. I think I would have been really sad and like cry if I ever saw that. Yeah, the ad tech company I worked for almost went out of business sooner than they actually did uh, because there was a bug where the bidder just never stopped bidding and then it ended up uh, crashing itself because it was doing too much of whatever it was doing. So actually a second bug that we didn't anticipate prevented us from spending all of our money uh, in however fast it could have possibly spent it. Um, and so yeah, they were out like 10 grand instead of all of their money. And uh, having metrics on these sorts of things can help you 
You know, see, this is going horribly wrong. Let's kill it as opposed to hopefully it somehow dies on its own, which is what happened to be the case in that situation. Yeah. And in that case, maybe self-healing containers isn't your thing. Maybe you don't want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just burned through 10 grand, but now I'm feeling refreshed and better. Let's, burn <laughs> Let's do it again. 10 grand. <laughs> yeah. Your DevOps guy walks into the office next morning. Oh, the system was a little unstable. Is everybody okay? And the CEO is crying. The line of credit has run out and none of you are getting your pensions anymore. Yeah. It's... Nobody gets pensions. Yeah. Um, oh, and then the final thing I had on mine, um, I guess, I guess two things. One thing that I forgot to men mention with al like the monitoring is set up alerts and notifications. So, Hey, if somebody's on call or something, this queuing system is now at 90% capacity, maybe send out a notification or a Slack message or something. That's just normal, good DevOps practices. Mm -hmm. I just like to bring them up again and again, because it just gets lost. It's, it, it's seen as one of the inferior parts of your architecture and nobody really cares about it because it's doing its thing. And then poor thing goes and then it spirals. Everybody, everybody pays because uh, <laughs> it's not facing the customer. So how bad can it be? It can be very bad. Um, yeah. And then the final one is like having proper retries and implementation of that. So just because it's a queuing system doesn't mean it's not going to fail. And if it fails, you need to handle that properly and have it report somewhere because if your queuing system is continually breaking and none of the CPU metrics and everything are going up, you can't just sit there and be like, things are working fine where every API request is hitting 500 or something or 403 because you forget to update the credentials. <laughs> that's a real world example. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> or like all the HTTP requests are fine. It's handling the same amount. Everything's fine. Why isn't the data coming in? And then we went in and looked at the container logs and it's like, Oh, all of the HTTP requests are four or three, and since it's not technically five hundred, it didn't retry, and mm. things are just bad. Yeah. So instead of implementing proper ranges, just always do if not equal to two hundred, two hundred one. Send alert. And at least that's what I've seen to be the the thing. Yeah, and if you start getting spammed multiple times per second reconsider how you're returning responses. That's true. Just, just do better with that. Mm -hmm. All right. Is that everything on your list? Yeah. Yeah. At least those are the things I thought. Then I, I had buffer of like scheduling algorithms if we really couldn't have anything to talk, but I think we had a good, good lengthy discussion of this. Yeah, I because I really didn't want to get into the algorithms. I don't know anything about <laughs> algorithms. You know, I hate them. <laughs> yeah, you you hate them far more than I do, and I'm still, despite my best efforts, still not great at them. <laughs> it's just I don't know. With scheduling, there's like the, those normal conundrum issues of, oh, what happens if the queue is now too big? Do we assign priority, and then you do priority based scheduling, or at random times you're just like screw it, round robin. Or you go in and then you assign different, you just keep figuring out how to process the important things first. And it just, it becomes a hornet's nest. Is that the term? It's just... uh, yeah, it could be. Or a rat's nest or a rabbit hole. Yeah. Some disgusting nest of issues. Oh. And 
Unless you really love Rat's Nest or Hornet's Nest, then I'm sorry. I just don't, so that's why I said disgusting. But yeah. Fair enough. Cool. So now I know I need to respect Jenkins more because it just keeps coming back. Uh, Jenk, it's it's never gonna die. I. It's a bold all claim. All these systems, I know, and everything we say on the show is fact. True. So it's just, it's just a fact at this point. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I had this I had this talk with another DevOps guy. Actually, the only other DevOps guy I've worked with previous to EA that I actually liked, um, and he. Because most of the time, DevOps guys are like kind of dicks, and I don't fully disagree with that because I can be <laughs> dick at point. But he was nice. Uh, <laughs> he was good at it, and that his his biggest claim was there's no other good full CI/CD scheduling all of these systems with a nice usable GUI. There's systems. There's GitHub Actions. Mm-hmm. There's GitLab CI. There's Spinnaker, all these different things, but none of them have as intuitive for GUI as Jenkins does. And you can't really get into depths or control them as much as you can with Jenkins. So it's just, everybody keeps waiting for it to die, but now it's at like release 2.170 or something. And with each one point or whatever, they do like hundreds of releases. And and this is like Jenkins 2 that came out years ago. So everybody, I, I don't know. I would love love for a competitor to come in and be like, this is open source, this is best, and this has replaced Jenkins. And then I'd be like, wow. Do you use less than 64 gigs of RAM to work efficiently? And they're like, yeah. And I'd be like, great. <laughs> okay, that was going to be my question, was what do people dislike so much about Jenkins despite its market share? Mm. Um, mainly, I think one of the biggest pains is relying on Groovy for a lot of things. Okay. Um, Jenkins plugins, since it's open source, it's also the doom of it where if something stops being worked on, it's like same problem with NPM not modules. You have to rely on external things for that. Um, Jenkins constantly has here and there security issues because it's been around forever and their code base is massive. And every single release comes with, we patch these security issues, but this is still remaining. And then it just it just keeps happening because they support a very long chain of things. And it's all single Java code base. And Java itself has a lot of baggage. And then it's just, it's just baggage on baggage on baggage. And it's just, yeah. But the little old man is so cute. And you can replace his icon with things. Yeah, so you gotta rebuild it, just using Go, make a little a little Go Gopher logo. Genkins. <laughs> yes. Genkins Con. Oh God, I don't think that has the same appeal. <laughs> if I was Harry, I'd get kicked right. Now. All right, again. That's not. That's enough of that. Let's go to what we're gonna do better next week, and start wrapping this Ooh. thing up. All right, so what are you going to do better? All right, so I decided that I need to finish this book by the end of February, which gives me about two months and a bit. So my goal is page 300. I'm on 252 right now. So try to make some good progress. I'm hoping that the microarchitecture layer will have a few fewer 
diagrams that I need to go through piece by piece, but we'll see. Mostly it's been tables up to this point, which I'm okay with, because it's been like, this is the assembly term for this, and this is what the register is, is actually doing, and this is um, what the command does. And so it'll be like, um, you know, if eek, and it'll say like, if this equals zero, you know, go to this uh, register or whatever. And then you just basically reading tables like that, that's very easy. It's much easier to read those quickly and understand them versus schematics of this is how a, um, an entire chip is laid out, which is what I was getting a lot of in the previous chapter. So page 300, that's the goal. And yeah, work on system design stuff. So that's a bit informal at this point, but I really like structured learning. So I did a lot of the front end masters courses a couple of years ago. Um, when I was trying to learn more about things like TypeScript and those sorts of things. And I really like when things are guided in a way because I just find that I focus a lot better. So my thinking right now is I might start picking up some of the AWS certification courses on things like the uh, Solutions Architect because they talk about how you implement solutions for scaling architecture. And I think those sorts of things would be as would be really useful to me because I'm not going to get a lot of opportunities to actually scale something in my work. Uh, so I'll be looking into that a little bit more, but nothing's formal for this week. I'm just sort of flagging it as this is something I'm going to be working on. So if I have nothing to report for two weeks in a row, then uh, I probably need to be called out for that. I'm going to make a note so I can call you out on that. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can just pay me like five grand and I'll do like a really fake course slash ebook on how to deploy your first app on a Linux box uh, and explaining how all the architecture in between works. In what world is that worth five grand? <laughs> um, I am not free. Okay. <laughs> I know my value. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> If you if you know you're with something, you go out and get it. That's what Rocky said. Okay. Okay. And I cannot disrespect the guy I listen to every morning. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think I'll take you up on that offer, but I appreciate it. Okay, fine. I'll give you a friends and family discount, two grand. All right. Well, I'll think about it. Okay. Five dollars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I have your attention. Now we're just negotiating. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what, what was, I don't know if you, have you already touched on what you were going to do better? And if you did? I think so, yeah. That was at the beginning of the episode. Read 40 more pages and, oh, actually, I guess we didn't talk about this. Yeah, I read 40 more yeah. pages in the book just yesterday because uh, I realized I was running way behind on progress. I was reading like a page or two every day and I was not going to, get me very far. So I really focused, did a bunch of that. And the thing I actually said I was gonna do better last week was take three days off from the gym, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I know if I hadn't have said that, that I would have gone on Friday because I was, Thursday night, I was really wanting to go. And I was like, I could just book a session, just go in the morning. I feel well rested. 
but I took the Friday off as well, had a great session on Saturday, and it was good. So yeah, I went Saturday, Sunday, Monday, took the day off, and going to try to consistently do a little better with giving my body some days off here and there. And the nice thing is I feel good today as opposed to Wednesday when I took my first day off after three weeks or whatever and felt terrible. So I'm figuring if I do this occasionally as opposed to a month or so at a time before I take a day off, I might not feel so horrible when I take a day off. Maybe, maybe, yeah. But what happened to the whole no pain, no gain? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just everything felt worse. <laughs> Didn't feel like I was like, making a lot of gains. Mm. But feeling good now. Feeling good, like you should. Um, yeah, okay. Then my last week of do better was to figure out if I was going to vacay harder. <laughs> right. If I was going to be productive. <laughs> um, I chose vacation. I, oh man, I did it so good. I ordered two pizzas all to myself over the course of the week, not one night. Uh, I'm not that great anymore at eating. Um, I bought myself pie and ice cream. <laughs> This is just the start, okay? <laughs> I generally don't eat that much food. Uh, so this was vacay mode. I was standing at Save On Foods looking at things, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do treat yourself. Thank you, Parks and Rec, for teaching me that life mantra. Um, yeah, so I did that. That was just a start. I watched all the prequels of Star Wars. That was not part of my targeted vacation <laughs> time, but it was there, so I did it. Uh, <laughs> I finished Uncharted, as we talked about in the beginning of this. Um, watched a lot of Handmaid's Tale. Cancelled plans on the weekend to treat myself further. To not see other humans. And enjoyed my own company. And yeah, just vacated super hard last week. And it was great. So now this week, I'm having a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs> being productive. <laughs> Because I know how great relaxing feels and I can continue doing that for another two weeks. Um, but I am not going to because I can't, I get used to things pretty quickly and then it's really hard to change habits. Mm. So this week I've already gone back to my normal waking up time of 6 a.m. So this week I'm going to continue. What am I going to do better on? I have a book that I need to finish. I'm like 80% through it, but I'm really enjoying it. So I don't want it to end. And that's been like sort of a motivation for me to not finish it. But I do want to read it because I like <laughs> it. So I'm probably going to go do that. I, I come across as a very confusing man. Um, so I'm going to do that. I am going to get back on dobetter.club and start writing vlogs again. And I need to write one technical one for my personal portfolio website. And that one I haven't figured out because I wanted to have a lot of diagrams. And besides draw.io, I have no, um, I don't, I can't, I've never done my homework in paint and had those JPEGs lying around. <laughs> so I'm just not, I'm just not good at that stuff. Um, yeah, let me teach you the ways. So, just make sure you don't put them in your cycle bin. That's true. Oof, that's going to be tough. That's a toughie. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking of doing a write-up on like virtualization because everything above Docker is relatively more easier to understand and how it works at the OS level and everything. And you can find lots of articles on that, but 
everything that's below that, it's the virtualization layer, the Hyper-V, how it distributes the file system and allocates memory and such. There's not a lot of articles on that and mostly because nobody probably cares. But I, I like that stuff and I would like to see if I can explain that in my own language so my understanding of them gets more clear. Uh, so I want to do a write-up on that and how Docker becomes this great thing because of things that are supporting it underneath. Uh, so I'm gonna, gonna look forward to that. But first I'm gonna get bat, back on Do Better Club because I actually have like one friend reached out to me. It was like, I was looking forward to more blogs. I was just like, I got so sad. I was like, I was just taking a vacation. I'm so sorry. I will go back and write. Wow. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a, write one there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So time to be productive again. No more Gilmore Girls. No more Hands Made Tale. <sighs> And just, just gotta 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 start writing again. Hmm. Yeah, I keep telling myself that one of these days I'll either write something or make a YouTube video, and then I realize I don't actually want to, <laughs> so I just don't. Just podcasting is enough productivity for you. Not necessarily that. I just feel like I don't have anything to share in written or video form at this point, so. I, I think of someone like um, MPJ who ran the Fun Fun Function YouTube channel and I liked a lot of his videos and then he went full time and his content got so much worse because he had to put so much content out and he just didn't have stuff to say. And mm. I was like, well, I'm not going to make a video unless I have something to say. And I keep thinking every time I go to make a video, like I feel like making a video. I don't have anything to say. So no, I guess I don't feel like making a video. And uh, that's why I don't have any content on my channel. <laughs> what if you made one for all the Minecraft stuff you did? I'm sure you'll get some clicks with Minecraft in the title. <sighs> it's a weird one. Uh, I mean, I only have like 1,100 subscribers, but it's still 1,100 subscribers who are used to watching a bunch of JavaScript videos. And it's it's a bit of a jump. Yeah. Um, I've sprinkled in the occasional one in another language. And I mean, they don't get a lot of views, but it's not like I get a lot of views on most of my videos. It's a handful that I have, you know, in the 10,000 or so range, but most of them have a few hundred. And <laughs> I just can't see people being too stoked on me throwing in a totally unrelated video. So I've considered it. I don't know, maybe it'll happen, but Maybe maybe they just want to hear more of Nathan, you know, and the occasional science walk going by. Yeah, oh, it's so bad. Uh, I did watch. Start... It only happened once today, so. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time of day to do it. Um, I guess there's not as many emergencies around this time. Regular middle of the week, middle of the day, kind of middle of that, that proper day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, anybody, for listening to us uh, blab about this. Go be the 11,001 subscriber to Nathan's channel. And for, Calvin. for all that content. <laughs> yeah, for all that JavaScript content, mm. youtube.com slash Tell your friends. And yeah, and yeah, thanks for checking us out. And if you have any other episode ideas or anything you'd like us to blabber about, hit us up. Yeah. 
we'll find out in a few months <laughs> when we release this. <laughs> yes. Hey, I mean, by this point, it's gonna start getting released in a week almost. Holy smokes. January is our schedules. Yeah. 2021, we're coming for you. Can't wait. Coming in hot. Okay, I'm gonna stop. Bye. Yeah.